Welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast, gang. John Eldridge in the studio this week with my son, Sam, Morgan Snyder. We realized that here, as we begin to talk about the answers, like the solutions, what do we do to overcome the world? What do we do to detox from it, to become substantive people? We don't want to rush that. So this is actually going to be a two-part conversation. We're going to start it today, but we're going to pick it up next time. So this is part one of solutions to the world. I've actually had this desire to do a podcast series on the world for about a year and and just couldn't ever get to it. I could never fit it into my schedule and then I could never get it into everyone else's schedule and you know and then one thing leads to another and we're off to a boot camp or suddenly it's something else and and, and then we finally did get to it this spring, I have just been amazed at how difficult it is to get clarity on this. It, one, it's just been really hard to coordinate everyone's schedule, trying to get this going. And then once we get in here, feeling like, I know we have something to say, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah, John, for me, going through this series, it's been fascinating. And one of the kind of convictions is the world is much with us <laughs> in the sense of, man, in some ways we feel like we've taken all this ground and right. we're living right. in the kingdom. Right. And in other ways, just see the um, vulnerability and just, and confess like, boy, the world is so much in us. And when I say in us, I don't, I mean, in our culture, in our atmosphere, in our community, We're in our lifestyle. It. Right. Yeah. And it's just, and then going back to John 14, 30, when Jesus says that the prince of the world is coming and he has no hold on me. It's this idea of the enemy could not find a place in Jesus. In other words, the world was simply not right. in him. Right. So I, I have great hope, but yeah. it has been fought for. Hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it feels like getting our butts kicked a little bit by some high school wrestler where we get our face <laughs> off the mat two inches and we're trying to give advice like, okay, so he's got a mean left and his right boom, knee's boom, a little boom. bad. And then I'm back down face on the mat. Like, uh, Really, yeah. gang? Honestly, listeners, it, it has felt like extracting ourselves four inches yes. from the world enough to try and talk about it and pray about it, illuminate it. And then... I think I know why. Like suddenly, ding, the revelation of so difficult to get this going, been a year of delays, then I can't get people's schedules, then we're foggy. Like, come on. All we're doing is talking about the world. This isn't like a major podcast on, you know, spiritual warfare or profound mm. realms of inner healing or restoration of, of femininity or, okay. But here's this. I was reading through Colossians. That's the book that I've been in lately, personally. And- Apparently, what was going on in Colossae was the gospel had come to them. They had received it with joy. They'd really jumped in. But then other things started getting their attention and mm. distracting them. And so, Paul's writing to them to say, whoa, 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 come on back, y'all. Where did you go? In chapter two, he says this. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. So you are also complete through your union with Christ. 
And I went, wait, wait, wait a second. Okay, so captive, empty philosophies, thinking from the spiritual powers of this world. Mm. And I started realizing, wait a second, something is behind this marionette. Something is actually pulling the strings. And then, whoa, does it leap off the page in 1 John 5 when he says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And the epiphany that came to me, friends, was this has been so difficult to talk about because the world is actually the enemy's main thing. Mm. You know, we tend to think of, well, no, it's spiritual warfare, it's, it's fear, it's assault, it's, you know, violence, it's terror. But actually, that is super obvious stuff. Mm -hmm. Like when you're dealing with darkness straight on, you just know it, you know, nightmares or whatever. But the world is his main thing because he is, he's like the Wizard of Oz. He's hidden behind it, you know, and he is using the world to numb people, distract people, wear people out, like make their souls really yes. thin and numb us with all sorts of wonderful little Eden distractions. And I'm like, oh, that's why this has been so hard because exposing the world is actually exposing the main way that the kingdom of evil is trying to harm human beings right now. Like, mm -hmm. And they don't know it because it looks benign. Mm -hmm. It just looks like, no, it's just culture and you know values and society and the you know clickbait and iPhones. It's just the latest thing. Yes. It's not evil, but to just see that. And what I want to offer before we jump in today is just to say, but take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And we left last week's recording and Morgan's like, hey man, that was kind of heavy. Aren't you going to give people some hope here? And here it is. Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And then in First John, when he was exposing who's actually running this whole show in the world, he says, but everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, I know it might feel like you're drowning in the the fog or the jello or your face down on the mat. But he says, no, 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 this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And then he repeats it. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes in Jesus. And so there's hope, Yes. there's grace, Good there's job. victory. What we want to do here in episode five, rather than put out some more categories of exposure of kind of how the world operates, what we want to do is offer some hope and some direction. What do we do with that? Like, where do we go? Okay, so that's that's where we're headed now. Who is he who overcomes the world? Us, those who love Jesus. Like, it's it's doable. It's it's this is something that is possible. So this time, since we're turning a corner, I want to put two things out there and see if we can find the common thread of these things. What these things say to us: chopping garlic and the Desert Fathers, and the answer is not bad breath. That's not what unites the two of them. Like what? Keeping bats away? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Keeping others away? What do those things, if you just think about chopping garlic, what that's like, and you think about the Desert Fathers and what, whoa, what they were like and what they did, what, what strikes you? What, what immediately just, free association, what jumps off the page Free association, chopped garlic is quite a bit of work 
for the volume of product when you're done and it's very potent. And so it, it, it's a lot of work and you think, oh man, that Costco has like this Uber jar, two gallons of garlic pre taken care of. It's Why not get there, that? Right? right? Just dip your you don't spoon have to do all that work. Off, off you go. Um, yeah. But it's potent. And I don't know, the Desert Fathers, I think like, man, they live this, this, this all together other life, but we're here we are talking about them thousands of years later yeah. in some cases, yeah. hundreds others, and right. pot- potency yeah. comes to mind. That's good. Potency is good. The Desert Fathers for me are about as safe as you can get for Christian gurus, right? Like we don't have guys with Fu Manchus blowing in the wind on mountaintops, but we yeah. have like the Desert Fathers living in caves, yeah. rejecting kind of what was expected of them. And I have no idea how you want to connect that to chopping garlic because <laughs> I just Sam. think it's sticky hands. That's I, really I, I love garlic, but I, I, I think gang, where we're headed, and we, we've been hinting at it through different podcasts here. In an earlier episode, I think it was episode three, I quoted from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, and how the people who are not accustomed to heaven can barely stand it because it's so substantive that literally as they walked, they didn't even disturb the dewdrops on the grass. They were so ephemeral. So their substance was so light, they were lightweights. And then the people who live in the kingdom, Lewis calls them the solid people. And he he puts himself in the story as one of the lightweights and he describes trying to lift a leaf and he can barely budge it off the ground because heaven, the kingdom, the substance of it. And, and I would say that the, the Desert Fathers chose a life of pursuing substance, uh, more on them in a minute, I would say that chopped garlic is a hassle. It's a hassle, especially getting the little paper stuff <laughs> off, right? That, that, that first process of, you know— Confession, Susie hates doing it, so she has me chop all of our garlic. There, well, there you go. go. Yeah. See? You're the garlic it's, chopper. I'm the garlic chopper. It's a hassle. And you guys know that about garlic you. chopper from now on. Most of you. us would prefer— to just simply buy it, buy it chopped and get on with things, Morgan, as you were saying, but it is potent. And to engage it is a kind of choice to engage what is real, right? To enter back into process and engagement versus quick fixes and and that sort of thing. So here's what we're going to do, listeners. We're just going to go back through some of the things we've said in episodes one through four. Hey, the world's marked by convenience. How how would we respond to that? Hey, the the world is assaulting our attention constantly. What what might we do about that? Um, So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk through that. But before we we get there, I want to point out something that I think might be very, very, very helpful and kind of startling. And what I want to say is the other thing that characterized the Desert Fathers is that they saw salvation as a process. I want to put that out there. Salvation is actually a process. Now, those of us raised in the evangelical tradition immediately, you know, all the alarms go off and go, no, 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 it's, you know, we are, we are saved by the grace of Christ and Him alone. And that's true. That's absolutely true. You know, what the Reformation tried to bring back front and center was and is very valuable. It is by grace alone, not by our works, not by our efforts. It is through the unmerited atonement of Jesus Christ that we are ransomed. However, 
even clear-headed thinking Protestants understand that it's not all done and done in terms of your own transformation. Like, yes, you are now a child of God. You are now, you know, Colossians 1, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. However, any any self-aware human being knows there's some work to be done, right? And so, uh, two scriptures, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And you go, whoa, wait a second, being saved? Wait, I thought we just were saved. No, you, you are being saved. You are undergoing a process of, of the restoration of your entire being. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 1, Hebrews 10 Again, talking about the cross, it says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Mm. So it's both. It's both. Yep, you stand, you stand righteous before God right now. And we are being made holy. We are being saved. And that that process, I was really struck by that when I opened, I was reading. The French, uh, they call her a mystic because they just didn't understand her intimacy with Christ, but Madame Gaillot, Jean, Jean Gaillot, and the opening sentence of her book, Union with God, says, your way to God begins on the day of your conversion. And, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, is, is that heresy? For conversion marks your soul's initial return to God. From that moment, you begin to live and have your being by the means of his grace. But the perspective is, yes, utter, you know, you're in, you're safe, you're good, can't lose it, you're okay. However, it is a beginning. It is a beginning. It, it, it is a, a step towards. And so what we're talking now as we go through things on the world is recognizing we're all kind of under renovation and, and under process. Salvation is a process. And detoxing ourselves, extracting ourselves, knowing how to handle this thing called the world is, is actually a really, really significant part of that. I think I'm a couple doorknobs away from being done over here. If I'm under renovation, <laughs> I'm, I'm home stretch, right? <laughs> uh, uh, Stacy told a hysterical story last night of being with a dear friend, and they were off running some errands together, and they were just chatting about their lives, and and they were. And, and she said something to the friend of, you know, but sometimes, you know, you understand you can be a little, a little snarky. And, and there was absolute silence in the car. And then Stacy goes, she kind of slowly looks over at her friend and says, no one's ever told you that? <laughs> okay, this gal is 60-something. And it's like, this is a revelation to you? You're not a couple Nordobs away, right? Uh-huh. All right, so here we go. Episode one. Episode one, what we began with was saying the world that we have created, particularly in the West, the the collective momentum of humanity trying to make life work without God, is a world committed to convenience. Committed to convenience. And we held up, you know, Starbucks and self-driving cars as the example there. It's like, really, you can't even drive your own car, let alone make your own coffee? It is a world, because it's committed to convenience, it's a world avoiding process. So what would we say? Let's just start right there Mm -hmm. and go, okay, if that's what we've got all around us, if that's what we're being, you know, we're swimming in that every single day, 
what is a what is a way out? What what are what would you do with that? Mm-hmm. No, John, having uh, teenagers is this beautiful opportunity to align back to one of the realities of God's kingdom that you're naming. It's just it's an objective reality of process. That's how the kingdom works. Like you said, we're being saved. So Abigail is learning how to play the guitar. Joshua is learning how to play lacrosse. And so two years ago, neither of them had any experience whatsoever with those two activities. And it's what's so beautiful is to observe the process that there's simply no shortcut if you want to come to a high level of competency with a guitar or with a lacrosse stick. I already don't like the direction of this. Right? I just, seriously, <laughs> what, so, something in me just right. wins right. at there are no shortcuts. I just there, wins. There are not. I hate that right. sentence. And the world, the world deceives us steadily, but being rooted in a family culture where you have young people that want to pursue something, and therefore they have to consent to the process. What's so beautiful is the father showing me the same is true for me. Right, it, Joshua is in these years where we're naming these years his initiation years, and so every day we're thinking in the reality of what is God doing to initiate my son into manhood over time, and how do I participate with that? But what's so beautiful as I'm observing it in my children, I'm being reminded that the gospel is the same for me. Yeah. It is simply no different. Yeah. But what's so beautiful and kind of God mm. of having teenage kids is the fruit is is actually quite quick. It is mm. actually, there's no shortcuts, but Abigail played me a song two nights ago that was glorious. I mean, as a gift, she plays me, God is great, beer is good, people are crazy. And I'm sitting there savoring the fact that she only knew three chords a couple of weeks ago. Mm. You know, Joshua's doing really well on an advanced lacrosse team. It's only the second season. And it gives me hope that there can be great fruit, yeah. like you said with the garlic, but it's requiring consenting to a process. And so I think as I respond to your, your question, my observation is there's been a deepening consent in my own heart to say, I too am being initiated. And so the heartbeat of my story must be processed over time. Whether whether you're a man or a woman, I am open to process. Exactly. I, I'm shifting away from convenience and I'm actually embracing process yep. where I can. Right. Where that's coming. This isn't like chuck everything out the window, gang, and you know, kindness. We are all now farmers building our own chairs. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. But it's right. interpreting it as process yeah. as well, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So for me, I have to admit, like, I am so deeply in the assumption that things should happen in a certain way as it affects me, that when things don't go that way, this inconvenience, I'm really quick to try and get things back on that track. So Susie and I needed to buy a second car because we've hit that stage of life where we've got a kid and two jobs and juggling one car didn't work anymore. The week I bought the car, the radiator broke just one small plastic piece that hooked up to a hose and like that snapped. So it was worthless. And my immediate reaction was to call a tow truck and have it go be dealt with by somebody else rather than to like stop and have that be a moment where inconvenience actually was an invitation into growth. And it took other people coming and grabbing me and saying like, Hey, this actually isn't that expensive and you can learn how to do this. And 
at least a few days before I had been saying that's exactly what I wanted until confronted with the mm. thing I had said, in which case I was like, well, I've got AAA and I've got a mechanic and I can just make this. I'll go away and put get it back on the on. credit card. Yeah. Get it back on the railroad track of life is not inconvenient. When I was young, there was this episode of Carmen Sandiego on television. They made an animated series for a little while. I don't remember anything other than this one episode where like Carmen has a daughter who develops this device where she can steal talents and she starts stealing the ability to play the violin and to be like a great skier to have these friends like her because it's, you know, geared towards kids. I probably watched that episode 25, 20, 24 years ago. Something, something crazy like that. Yeah. And I still remember it vividly of like, in contrast to Abigail learning the guitar mm-hmm. and it taking time, yes. this this other idea of like, I could just, yes. I don't want the 10,000 hours. Yep. Blaine's friend has this line where he says, I would do anything other than invest the time and energy to have that skill. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gang. So in other words, chop your own garlic, gang. Like chop your own garlic. Wherever you can, where, where you see that you are, making decisions that are driven completely by convenience begin to choose otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Don't have somebody else wash your dog. You wash your dog, right? And and on it goes. Like, And again, this isn't, you know, we can't overwhelm our lives. We can't all immediately become, you know, Luddites or whatever. It's not that. But, but just to be aware that you live in a world that is worships convenience. And the reason that that's a problem is that the Christian life is not convenient. Mm. It doesn't come to us that way. It is a process like learning lacrosse. It is a process like learning an instrument or like changing a radiator. Therefore, do things, do things that you can deliberately choose to do. Like make your own dinner. Don't just grab takeout because it's convenient. It, right? Just things as simple as that because they develop in you the consent to process. Yes. They, they develop a new mindset. Your detoxing from convenience is just the best, right? And I love John about it. Also, it restores the dignity of the thing. I mean, Sam, when you're describing working on the car, I mean, r- that feeling of getting back in your vehicle and turning it on and it running, that, 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 agency, that competency, mm-hmm. you know, the ethics of maintenance repair, Crawford calls it. Like, th- didn't that feel empowering to know I have totally. a mastery over this? It totally did. Yeah. So there's dignity in it. There, there's substance. Like these things will actually begin to restore and build substance in you. Now, in episode one, we also said that the world is characterized by um, the short-term view of everything but particularly of just life. Like, there is no other. This is it. This is it. And therefore, of course, you know, maximize pleasure, minimize pain. If you don't you don't like, you know, the person you're married to, get rid of them and find someone you do like it. You know, just, we do everything we possibly can because this is it. This is my only shot at happiness. So, as we just think about responding to that for just a moment, just little pieces of counsel here. So, if you live in a world that's fixated, on the present, what would you begin to do on a, on a practical level? And, and I'll give one because it happened to me this morning. I like to have something I'm looking forward to. 
I, I need that out there in front of me. So whether it's a, a trip or, or you know, so, something we're going to do to renovate the house or whatever, you know, I know that a day of fishing's coming or, you know, I like to have something out. And, and uh, I was already beginning to make a list of things to fix my hopes on this summer. Thing, you know, camping, fishing, the Tetons, yada, yada, building a hermitage. <laughs> um, and Jesus just kind of caught me for a moment and just said, hey, just for a moment, just for a moment, just look forward to me. Just look forward to me. Look forward to our friendship. Look forward to what I'm doing. Just, yoo-hoo, remember, I'm here too. And it was so simple. It wasn't accusing. It wasn't shame-filled at all. It, I was just aware of, oh my gosh, I am constantly looking for some place to fix my hopes mm. and, and just choosing a little bit of a, of a bigger view, mm. right? Choosing it like a God-centered view. So you live in a world that's fixated on the present. It's good, John. What do, what do you do? How do you react? What's helpful? I was admitting to myself the other day that when I was younger, I kind of assumed that I would hit these points where I would all of a sudden have maturity as I got older. Video games kind of instilled this in me. You hit a new level and you get like all these new level points. Like you're stronger mm. now. You can fight the harder guys. So I'm like, yeah, when I'm 20, all of a sudden I'll be more patient and you level more up. wise. Yes. Seriously though, like if only. And it was striking me. It's a is connected in my mind to your comments about salvation and intimacy with God because it's this, if I'm not cultivating those things like patience and joy, which I think we'll expound on a little bit later, those capacities aren't going to just appear out of nowhere. Like these are things that I have to practice. As much as I need to practice my knife skills chopping garlic, I need to practice becoming more patient because when I need it, I'm going to like either have those muscles or not. Yeah. It's not like I'm suddenly going to become someone that yeah, I haven't been working good. towards at all. That's really good. Short-term yeah. view. John, for me, the mantra kind of came into my life quite a while ago in, in the spirit of this subject of live in the day and measure in the decade. Live in the day and measure in the decade because the temptation is the opposite to to actually measure by the day, always short term. What is the what is the outcome? How are we doing? How, How are we doing? doing? How right, are we doing? right. And then we live in the decade in kind of some ethereal future. Yeah. Someday it'll be better, and and we never submit to the training. And like you said, Sam, I, I appreciate the word cultivating. And so the idea of living in this day, hmm. but measuring in the decade, and it just feels like a truer timeline. And I find myself honestly, in this category, drawn to older things, older people, older trees. There's something just by way of orientation. I, I have found as a younger man, I had to start spending time with elders. Hmm. And it began to reorient me to spend time to start kind of break that cycle of here now, short-term youth. And then just even being around old trees, there's something healing. Every fall, You, we know, we return to the forest for archery hunting. And without exception, there are times where I find myself just laying on my back in, in a forest of ancient trees. And it it's, it's a, aligning my soul with reality. Yes, right. That that thing was there before you were born. Exactly. By a hundred years. Exactly. Right? So, gang, here's a really simple thing. Um, you just ask yourself, how am I chasing Eden now? 
Mm. How am I chasing Eden now? And then you let it go as a choice. Not forever, not, but you just make those simple choices of, oh, I am utterly fixated right now on, you know, the car, the trip, the the promotion, the whatever, you know, just and just going, you know what? I I just gonna free my heart from that. I'm gonna let that go. I, Hebrews eleven is the long-term view. And it it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He actually chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a short time. That's interesting that they put in for a short time. You want to be fixated on the short or yes. the long, right? And there there are choices. And and you just take for example the discipline of fasting. You know, why was that why was that considered important for centuries? Well, because it's just a choice to say I adore fill in the blank. You know, my show, I adore dark chocolate. I adore my venti you know, macchiato, I, I adore these things. I'm going to let that go for a week. I'm, I'm choosing to abstain. Why? Not for punishment, but simply to pull my Eden heart out of searching for Eden in this world, right? Uh, because that's what, that's what the world's doing. The world's constantly looking for Eden now. And my gosh, you just look at Patagonia's catalog, Prana's catalog, William Sonoma's catalog, Pottery Barn's catalog. I mean, it's eaten now. It's you can find it now. So you just go, okay, I'm going to let that go. All right. Episode two, we focused on the exaltation of the self as the epicenter of the world. And the, the two things we showed in that we felt demonstrated that was that post a review, leave a comment phenomenon that everybody gets to just rip whatever they want to rip online. But then also the tattoo. And, and this need for identity, this need for permanence, this need for a, a sense of self. And, and we were talking about in episode two, the shallow nature of the self in the world today, because we're not grounded in something beyond ourselves. So w- what would you say to that? Thinking back on, on episode two, where, where, where's the rescue? What, what choices would you make? Yeah, I mean, a big part of that conversation for me was the more freedom, less responsibility piece. And that has become something that for my marriage, for our family, we take super seriously. Like you, to enjoy freedoms, actually have to take on the responsibilities and the implications and the ramifications of your actions. Now, this gets used really trendily these days to like support all sorts of justice movements and you have to have fair trade coffee and chocolate oh, and all that. Oh, reduce your carbon footprint right. and all that. Somehow yeah. that's being a responsible global citizen. Like, and that's fine, sort of, but that's not really what I'm talking about. Like for us, it's wading into the really messy waters of family and sex and childbirth and going, we're, one of the examples was the, the culture of here's, all the medication and all the protection you'll ever need to have sex with anybody, anytime, and we'll deal with the consequences. That's the world. That's the world. That's what that's what's offered. And for us, it's a posture of how do we best honor my wife's body and our relationship? And how do we walk in the freedom and the beauty and the goodness and also the, the responsibility that comes with 
things, actions have consequences. And yes. so this isn't, mm. I mean, this is deeper stuff and I could go for a long time about it because we've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But the way that, I mean, you mentioned fasting for episode one, now we're in episode two for like this self, there is a extent to which holding back is honoring like in so many areas mm. for gluttony, for for in this case voicing your opinion right yeah there's a lot of you out there i mean i love that the fool can <laughs> sit at the table as long as he keeps his mouth shut o- opinions have just blown the lid off that like you anybody everybody mm-hmm. everywhere and so for us in our marriage there is that like waiting for a date because we don't get to just go out all the time yeah. waiting to have sex sometimes because we want to walk well like that actually has much richer fruit so yeah. complicated stuff, and I bet Susie's blushing right now if she's it's listening so, to this. It's so fruitful. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so fruitful. very orienting for us. You, you know, one of the things I was struck by in this, Sam, that goes with it, it just another way of saying it is, where do you feel entitled, mm. gang? Where do you feel entitled? Let it go. Because in the podcast series we did on Envy, we said we live in a culture of the offended self. Well, how did you get to the culture of the offended self? Well, you exalted the self. You gave the self the car keys. You, you said, self, you should never be offended. You know, and then offense rises up because the self is like, hey, you're in my way. You're messing with my fill in the blank, right? And so, where do you feel entitled? Mm-hmm. I just personally, speaking to myself, where do I feel entitled let go, man. Let it go. Mm. Like, do not make everything a fight. Everything is not worth, you know, raging about. Like, where do you feel entitled? Let it go. John, through this series, it's been so helpful to remember this, this big idea of the self is the center of the world, right? It, it, it glorifies the self. It seats the self at the center. And the kingdom doesn't operate that. The, it, the kingdom, the center of the kingdom is God, this, this heroic trinity. And so I think what I'm aware of in this category is the world is loud. And the world presents itself as a very big story. And so the temptation, for example, practically is to wake up on any given day and be thinking about my schedule, my plans, my needs, my intention. And even in the service of good things, it's a me-centered world. That's that's it's me. That's how I wake up every day. Right? Where are you taking this? <laughs> okay. But as several years ago, a mentor uh, was talking about like how do you live in the kingdom and and he, he this sage and he said, I begin every day in bed by crying out, Father, Father. He said, I, and I do not leave my bed until I have oriented myself to the Father. And the, and the spirit of it mm. is every day has its own unique challenges. And, and there are some things in spiritual practices we can't do on, any, on some days, but that is something that is available to us on every single day. And so what I've found because of the loudness of the world and the me-centered pull is to pause and simply say, Father, 
You are the center. You are reality. And then to sit into who he is, what he's like. Well, I know you are abundant. You are caring. You are providing. You are intimate. And now as I get out of this bed, everything else submits to the reality that I have a safe, valued place in your story. And it just begins to shift my orientation. Oh, gosh, it's huge, Morgan. One of the things that did characterize the Desert Fathers is that they were looking for a sense of self that was truly grounded in God and not in society. Mm. That, that was really big for them. And so, many of them were actually significant people in society. You know, they didn't start out as the homeless and then they just went and exalted homelessness. Like they, they started out as like mm. heirs of fortunes and, you know, sons and daughters of really significant families in, in their community. They tasted that and said, that, I, I can't look to that for a sense of self. It's killing me. I want a sense of self that's grounded in God. Yes. And that's what you're talking yes. about. You're going, how am I looking for a sense of self grounded in God? And, and, uh, so I would just say, you know, where are you looking for a sense of self, gang? It's just a good thing to kind of ask once in a while. Like, is it how people appreciate you? I remember, we're back to fasting here, but I remember years ago, I had to fast from public speaking because my gifting's there, you know, and 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 God uses me there, but I had really, really turned it into my identity. That that is where I'm drawing my sense of self, and I, I saw it, and I just said, I, I got to take six months off of that. It's just, it's really harming me. I don't like it. It's it's not giving me substance. It's eroding me because then everything is. Did you like it? Do you like me? How'd that one go? I remember um, it was said years ago. David Letterman confessed that every morning he wakes afraid that the next show is not going to go well because mm. the whole thing is based on. Do people like me? Mm. So where are you looking for a sense of self? So gang, I'm just aware of we're at 40 minutes right now, and it it feels like we're actually just beginning to unpack this, so don't want to blast through it. actually want to pause and and just pray for a moment and say, Jesus, Jesus, where do I need to let go of the world? Where do I need to get my soul back? Lord, I know you don't overwhelm. You don't overwhelm, and you really are gracious with the process. So just right now, Jesus, what are you saying to me? It looks like detox. What are you saying to me? It looks like choices that I can begin to make to become a person of substance, to embrace that salvation is a process where I can begin to do things that really enable me to get my soul back and separate myself from the world in healthy ways. Show me what you're saying about this right now. Where am I looking for a sense of self? And where do I feel entitled? And where am I chasing, Jesus, convenience over, frankly, responsibility? You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. This is our concluding effort in a series on the world, and we're going to pick this up, part two of the conclusion next time, just trying to offer some very helpful, concrete ways to (laughs) save our souls. 
in the sense of rescued from a very toxic thing called the world. So it was uh, John and Sam Eldridge this week with Morgan Snyder, and um, we're actually just going to keep the mics rolling and, and air the second half of this next week.